Thank you so much, praise man. I invite you to open your Bible if you do, if you have your Bible. And we're looking today to the book of Philippians, chapter number three, Philippians chapter three. I want to think today about seizing the future and how to seize it and uh, embrace that future that God has for each and every one of us. I heard about an old boy that was just a duffer, went out to play golf one day at a pretty poor golf course, and he went out and uh, he teed up his ball, and when he teed it up, he teed up his ball right next to an anthill. And uh, he took a couple of practice swings and then reared back with the biggest swing possible and swung as hard as he could at that golf ball on the tee, missed the golf ball, missed the tee, and hit the anthill. Ants went flying everywhere. Well, he loaded up and wound up and swung, gave a hard swing of that club, hit the anthill again, and ants went flying everywhere. And one of the soldier ants cried out to the others, Boys, if we don't get on the ball, we're all going to die. We need to get on the ball and follow the Lord and where he wants us to go. Amen? He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want us to look in the book of Philippians, and Paul is, is uh, he's giving us sort of a, a, somewhat of an insight into his own life, what drives his life, how he lives his life, how he orders his life. In the book, if you look with me to Philippians chapter number 3, beginning with verse number 12. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to find it with me and find Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal, for I'm already fully, or am I, or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to hold, to take hold of it, because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And Father, that you might instruct us from your word. I know that you have a message for all of our hearts today. Father, I pray that we would embrace it, hear it and be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord's got great plans for your life. He has a great, how many of y'all believe that? He has a great plan for your life. You're not here by some cosmic accident. You're here by the plan and the purpose of Almighty God. You are not some accident of your parents. It's not just something that happened in nature. You're here because God designed you. God made you. God has made you a living soul. His breath is in you, and you are valuable to God. You're made in the very image of God, and he cares and loves you. And God cares for our church and has great plans 
for our church as the family of God. We are part of his church, and the gates of Hades will not stand up against it. Amen? That is, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi in Macedonia. He is he has, was there. He is, this church was born and planted in the midst of persecution and trial and Paul's own imprisonment. But here, they knew suffering and persecution and difficulty and hardship. And Paul is reminding them that these difficulties are indeed blessings in their life. Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on to say on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when men persecute you, insult you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice! Be exceedingly glad because great is your reward which is in heaven. Amen. God, the Lord, blesses us even in our difficulty. And Paul reminds them that God loves them that Christ holds them, that God is working among them, and God's got a greater purpose in the midst of the trials of life. Paul himself is writing from a Roman prison cell. He's commending them for their faith. He's commending them for their generosity. And he is exhorting them to live humbly, to serve one another, to be united in faith, not divided, and to keep the goal of life clear, which is following Jesus Christ in faithful service and obedience. Amen? And this is God's call for each and every one of us. Are you all here awake this morning? Man, it's so important to be in God's house. And today I want to talk to you about how you can embrace the future that God has for you. Paul lays it out in his own life in verse number 12. Look what he says. Notice He says, not that I've already reached the goal or already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing about going to the future that God wants in your life is there needs to be a real spirit-led evaluation of your own life. And that leads Paul to understand there's a dissatisfaction I am not satisfied. I'm not all that, I'm not what I used to be. But I'm not all that I want to be or Christ has called me to be. But there is in the future for me a great reward in following and serving Christ. And so while I'm dissatisfied at some level in my present, but it's forcing me, pressing me to go to the future and be all that God has called me to be. He said, not that I've already attained it. Not that I've already reached it. Not that I've already received it. Not that I've already, what? What's he talking about, it? Meaning, I'm made perfect, fully mature, fully like Christ. In chapter number 3, in verse number 10, he says that I have the knowledge of Christ. And so, uh, he says, brothers, I don't consider myself as taking hold of it. In, in In verse number 13. He says, I've not attained it. I've not reached it. I've not fully arrived yet. In chapter number three, verse number seven, look what Paul says. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be lost because of Christ. Rubbish. 
More than that, I consider everything in view to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's, it's, it's a loss. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as rubbish, filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is in, through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, my desire is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He said, I haven't fully made it. I haven't fully arrived. He says, but I'm on the way. I'm evaluating myself. I'm not satisfied with where I am because God's got a great plan for my life. Tell the person next to you, God's got a great plan for your life. He does. A great plan. He refused to be satisfied with his condition spiritually. And his goal was to know Christ. His goal was to be conformed to the image of Christ. To live like Jesus. Folks, we lose focus of what God has called us to do if we're not careful. And this world has a way of causing us to get off focus. And we value the things of the world. We value materialism. We value things that bring creature comfort to us. We value what other people think about us. And if we're not careful, the goal is not what Jesus wants of us in our life. We lose focus on Jesus himself, the life that he lived, the call of God on our own life, and how Christ lived his and how I should live mine. The problem is we become satisfied when we look to the wrong thing. For instance, if we look at other people and how they're living their lives, we say, you know what? This person's living their life this way. And compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. And so I compare my life against their life. The truth of the matter is, don't compare your life to another person's life. Look to Jesus. Look to him. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that we look to. The stack pole, the standard of measure is not your neighbor, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your pastor. That's not it. It is Jesus Christ himself. We also have false estimates of our own self. And sometimes we're satisfied because we're deceived, because we falsely have evaluated our own life. But that's not Paul. John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, in, and to the churches in Asia. And in Revelation chapter number 3, he says concerning the church at Sardis, he says, you have a reputation for being an on-fire, alive church. But you're not. You're dead inside. I see what's really happening. You've got all kinds of works. You've got all kinds of activity. But on the inside, there's death. Listen close to me, my friend. You can be a part of a fellowship in a church 
that has lots of activities, even supports missions, even seems to have a buzz, even that there's popularity, even that the parking lot's filled. But that doesn't mean that there's life of the Spirit in that fellowship. That comes from walking in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. And he calls them to remember and to repent. He also speaks to the church at Laodicea. He said, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. I I would like to spew you out of my mouth. It makes me sick at the way that you are. This is what you say in self-evaluation. In self-evaluation as a church, you're saying, I am rich. I am wealthy. I... I have plenty. I need nothing. But my evaluation of you is that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. How does God look at a church and a fellowship in our own life? His evaluation is always right and always true. And the stack pole that we ought to bring to our life is not other people, not other ministries, not other churches not other individuals, not our own evaluation, but what God's Word says about how we're living our life. Amen? Amen. And so it begins with a holy dissatisfaction about our own life, and and secondly, it should lead us to a devotion to His purpose for our life. And this is what Paul says. He says this one thing, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. He says, I got one thing, and the secret is to concentrate on this one thing. What Paul is saying is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's the main thing. And this one thing, but we get distracted, and we can get involved in many other things, maybe good things, but not the one thing, the most important thing. No athlete really succeeds if he tries to do everything. You focus, you specialize on that one thing that God has called you to. One thing. The most important thing. Nehemiah was the governor and uh, he was in exile in Babylon. He heard about the condition of the walls in Jerusalem. He was broken. He, he went to the king. He asked for help and release and resources. God blessed him incredibly. He was sent with an entourage and, and so many resources to help restore the walls. But there was opposition to his leadership. And whenever you start to bring change and whenever you start to lead, understand that there will be opposition and sometimes that opposition is political, sometimes it's religious, but it's always of the evil one. And so they began to oppose him, and, and the walls started being restored, and all the gaps were filled. But the work wasn't quite done. The gates weren't finished, and the doors weren't finished, and there was still important work to be done. And so these adversaries, these Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, they send a message to him and says, let's have a summit meeting. 
And they invited him to the village in the plain and the valley of Ono and said, come and meet with us and, and no harm will come to you and we'll, we'll set out a plan so we can live together in peace. But they were liars. And Nehemiah said, no, no to Ono. He said, I'm not going to Ono. And this is his words, look with me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? He says, I'm working at what God's called me to do and I will not be distracted nor come down and be distracted from it. It is a great church. It was a great mission. And our God has given us a great mission to do his work. In James chapter number one, it says an indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. And so we need to be single focused on one thing. What is that one thing? To worship God with passion as a church and as individuals. To obey God and have him to be first place in your life. No other gods before him. And to make disciples of Jesus Christ as he's called us to do. This ought to be the driving purpose of your life and of mine. Psalm 27, verse number 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. This is the driving thing in my life rich young man that came to Jesus had something missing in his life. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looked at him and he said, he, he loved him. He says, you lack one thing, go sell all you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But the man loved wealth and treasure and riches more than following or knowing Jesus. He missed the one thing. He said, this is one thing you lack. You need to go and do this. Make me first place in your life. But this young man had not done it. He says, then follow after me. You can't have other gods and follow me. You've got to make me the first place in your life. In a sobering thing that happened in the life of D.L. Moody, great evangelist and pastor and preacher, limited education, didn't attend any seminary, didn't have the stamp of approval of men, but became one of the great men and pastors in America in the 1800s. His work continues today. His name, the Moody Church, still a vibrant church in the heart of Chicago. Moody Bible Institute, who trained pastors and missionaries all over the world. D.L. Moody, prior to 1871, was busy with many things, a great Sunday school work, great Sunday school promotion. He taught people how to do Sunday school. He was involved in the, the initial understanding of the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, about developing and pouring your life into young men and strengthening young men and athletics for young men and Bible teaching among young men and making men, young men to become men of God. He was involved in evangelistic campaigns, many civic responsibilities. But on Sunday, 
October 8th, 1871. It was the great Chicago fire. It's hard for us to understand the devastation of that, but three and a half square miles of Chicago burned to the ground. Over 100,000 people homeless. Over 300 people died. The fire burned October 8th, October 9th, October 10th. Moody's world was turned upside down. And after that, he said one thing I'll do. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to win people to Jesus and helping them grow in their faith. That's the one thing that I'll do. What's the one thing that God's purpose for our church to worship him, to obey him, and to make disciples of all the nations? This should be the driving beat of our church. Number three, the direction of my pursuit. He says, in reaching forward to what is ahead, forgetting what's behind, I press forward to what is ahead. And so you can't live your life in the rearview mirror. You can't do that. You've got to forget what's behind, and you've got to press forward to what is in the future, what God wants in your life. Amen. And this is what God has called us to. It means forgetting that. By forgetting doesn't mean you have amnesia and you don't remember anything that happened in your past. That's not possible, and that's not what this means. It means by forgetting what's behind, that what is behind me no longer holds me. What's behind me no longer drives me. It no longer influences me, and it no longer affects me. Instead, what is behind is behind me. But thank God, Jesus is in front of me, and I'm not going to miss the present because of the past in my life. What holds us in the past? Past sins. Or if you want to write this down, this is not in the notes, but you can write it down. It's brokenness about sin in your past. Brokenness. And you know what? How many of y'all have ever sinned in the, your past? You are all disqualified from serve, serving on the Supreme Court. And so, uh, the truth, and I'm, I'm not making, that's just a joke. But understand, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not even one. And we've all messed up and we all have shame and we all have guilt and we all have failures and we all have defeats in our life. Am I telling the truth? There are skeletons in every person's closet. And honestly, we're all messed up, every one of us. And there are many people saying, but what about me? I'm disqualified. My life's a mess. In my past, there's been stuff, shameful things. Maybe in your past, it's, it's a horrific thing. It's 
something you're ashamed of. It's a sexual sin. It's a financial sin. It's a lying sin. It's a hidden sin. It's a, an abortion sin. It's, a, it's a, a crime sin. I don't know what it is. God does. And your sins under the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven. All of it. In Hebrews, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus said, I, I, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Folks, we can't live in the past. But the author of Hebrews reminds us in chapter number 10, I'll never remember the sins and the lawless acts. Does that mean God doesn't know about them or remember them? No. But God has forgiven them and dealt with them in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could write, he says, the kingdom of heaven will not be populated by people like these. Sexual immoral, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals. He goes on and lists a whole list of sins. Liars and gossips and thieves. He, he says, but such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Christ has paid for your sins in full. Amen? And you're free to worship him and serve him. Hallelujah. Past hurts. Not only your past sins, but if we're not careful, we're looking at past hurts in our life. And this is not just brokenness, but now we're talking about bitterness. The bitterness of hurt in our life. Hurts and insults that have come against us. Maybe there's some sitting in this room that have been hurt by others. Betrayed. Betrayed by friends. Abandoned. Maybe you felt abandoned by a friend. There's some people in this room, you were hurt and abandoned by a family member. A father that left you. A mother that didn't want you. A spouse that betrayed you. A child that turned against you. A parent who denied you. And the hurt is deep in your life. A boss that fired you. A pastor who failed you. A church that injured you. And my friends, you can look at that and bitterness can fill your heart and you become an ineffective in God's kingdom for today. Am I speaking the truth? Forgetting what lies behind. Understand that the brokenness and bitterness and the hurt of your heart, God knows it, God can heal it, and don't you miss today because of living in that past. Amen? Don't let that person who hurt you hold you today. But you give them up to God and you go forward in his grace and his love for us. Amen? Amen. Past hurts, 
past disappointments, bereavement in your life. Not only brokenness and bitterness, but bereavement. You grieve loss in your life. You've lost someone in your life and you feel the pain of that loss. Maybe you lost a loved one. There's some here in this very room who've lost parents. You lost children. You lost a grandchild. You lost a job. You lost a career. You lost a dream for your life that you thought the way things were going to go for you. But God knew. God knows. And God is with you in your hurt and in your loss. And he can come beside you and whatever your dreams were, there's a different turn in the road in your life than what you thought. But God is with you. And he sustains you, upholds you, and will lead you to the future. We can't embrace the future if we're living in grief in the past. But let God bring healing into your life. He loves you. And he wants to lead you. We can't look into the past and be held by nostalgia. Idealizing what life used to be like. Those lives, those days are never coming back. And truthfully, they weren't as glorious as you've made them up to be in your mind. Here's the problem. If we're not careful, we'll be absent from the present because we're held by the past. Don't miss today living in yesterday. Let's press to the future. Amen? This is what God has called us to. Number four, my determination in my own person. He said, I pursue, I press, I follow after. The same verb is used in chapter 3, verse 12. It's the pursuit of your life, pursuing God. We're pursuing the one who pursued me. I want to lay a hold of that for which I was laid hold of. And Christ pursued me. Christ saved me. And now I pursue him with all that I have because he's pursued me. And that is the goal of my life, to live for Jesus Christ. Amen. To follow him, to pursue him, to press after him, to fix my eyes on him. Not people, not sin, not the world, not politics, praise God. But folks, our citizenship is in heaven from whom we look for a savior. Amen. It's a heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Folks, Praise God, this is not as good as it gets. (laughs) I am so disenchanted with politics at every level in this country. I think this country is a mess on all fronts. Whatever your persuasion is, it's a mess. But I'll tell you what's not a mess. Heaven is not a mess. And my citizenship is there. And I'm going 
and I want to take as many people as I can with me by telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what I press forward to. This is what God has called us to. But it's his work in us. Now, I have a part, but God is the one that really does the transformation. Notice with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying that you have to earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He said, but what God has worked in you, you work out with energy and obedience and pursuit of being all that God's called you to be. Verse 13, for it's God who's working in you. It's God's energy in you. He's working in you, enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. So God is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This is God is working in you. Tell your neighbor, God's at work in you. Man, that's awesome. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you. He's in us. He's in this church. This church isn't about programs. This church isn't about a pastor or a personality. This church is about Jesus. and Pursuing him and his life is in us. Hallelujah. John 15, 5. We can't do this. It's him doing it in us. Yet we have a responsibility to work out our salvation. Yet he's the one that does it in us. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. That's right. So let's pursue him and pursue all that he's called us to be. Abide in him, rest in him, be rightly related to him, trust him, pursue him. And this is what he's called us. Number five, my discipline in my life. There needs to be real discipline. Discipline to obey Christ. To exercise control over my own body and my own flesh. To not be judgmental of others. Philippians chapter 3 verse 15. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal reveal this to you also. He says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Be faithful to the truth and obedient. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. If anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If you're disqualified, if you don't compete against to the rules, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win... The prize, press forward. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they to do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we, a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, this is Paul, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. I discipline my body, my flesh, 
I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He said, I am making every effort to be all that God's called me to be and to train to be the man that God's called me to be. And it requires discipline in my life. We must discipline ourselves as a church so that we become all that God would have us to be. You must discipline your own personal life to be all that God has called you to be. We can't ignore the, the rules or the law of God in our life. The, we can't ignore obedience to Jesus and His Spirit. But live as He lived. Love as He loved. Give as He gave. Trust like He trusted. Invest in others like He invested in others. And that was, that's what God has called us to do as a church. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? We all will stand before the tribunal of God. The word that is used there is bima. It's, it's the judgment seat. And the judge that we stand before is almighty God himself. So why would I be filled with criticism of others when I know I will stand before God himself and give an account of my life? My friends, you're not God, you're not the judge of the earth. God is. Let's run to be all that God has called us to be. And that is not, God has not given you a striped shirt and a whistle. God has called you to be a part of his team, carrying out what God has called you to do. Amen? Amen. Let's go. Be all that God has called us to be. Verse 11 says, it's written as I live, it says, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God, and all of us will give account of himself to God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy laid before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at God's right, at the hand, at the right hand of God's throne. Amen. Let's don't disqualify ourselves. But let's run to the end for the glory of God. Amen. Let's finish well and finish strong. Lance Edward Armstrong. You know that name? He's born September 18, 1971. Became one of the greatest bicyclists ever. Seven Tour de France titles. Olympic medalist. But a cheat. A liar. 
and a doper. After thorough investigation that took a course of many years, finally the authorities in the sport surmised this. Lance Armstrong is, quote, the ringleader of the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program that sport has ever seen. He was disgraced and stripped of all titles. My friends, I want to finish strong as a church. I want to finish strong as a pastor. Let's discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness in our life. Amen? Amen. Takeaways today. Say them with me out loud. Number one. All right. Hold it. Let's, let's say it again, all right? Because we kind of mumble through the end of it. Because you tripping over perfect. Let's say it out loud. How many of you agree with the first part of that sentence? I am not perfect, all right? How about the second part of it? Do you want to be? Will you pursue it? That's maturity in Christ. Number two, say it out loud, please. Number three. Okay, number four. Number five. And everybody said, Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives in this service. Lord, I can't help but believe that there are people that are today, today, struggling with looking to the past and be held by it. There are people here today who feel defeated and like a victim. But I thank you that in Christ we have victory. Lord, today, some of us are not even sure about our salvation. We're so far away from God. And I pray that today that they would find liberty and certainty and full forgiveness. Others here today are struggling. But God, I pray that there be real renewal in their heart to pursue God and embrace the future. Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Would you come? Let the Lord have his way. Don't delay.